1: Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chapel. Hey, everybody. Welcome back
2: to the Build Your Network podcast. We have Chris Zizis on the show. He has generated billions of views and uh, millions of dollars from YouTube. And this is one of those episodes that is pretty selfish on our part. I'm excited to uh, get some hacks to kind of grow and develop uh, our channels. Uh, It's been something that I think a lot of people have tried to do it's a it can be a struggle if you don't know where to aim but uh really excited to talk with you today welcome to the show Thanks man excited to be here and you know help out as many people as I can Yeah excited to chat before we get into YouTube now uh, I kind of want to go back to really the early days of you getting onto the platform I was listening to an episode uh, that you did with someone else and uh, you said you started around like Teenagers, like 12, 13. Tell me a little bit about that first foray into YouTube and uh, how that went initially.
3: Yeah. So, you know, when I first started, always doing the, the typical, you know, try to do gaming content, try to do reaction content, try to, you know, be in front of the camera to be exciting, to be fun, to be entertaining. And it was hard, man. Like, you know, you got to give it to these guys and girls that can really push through that initial imposter syndrome phase Mm -hmm. because it's just so deteriorating, you know, just rip you apart. You know, if you don't get attention, if you don't get the views, you don't start getting the momentum that you think you deserve. So essentially, you know, I went down this rabbit hole of creating content and and trying to maintain it, trying to be entertaining and funny. And it just never really worked out to the point because I had no idea what I was doing. Right. I'm just throwing shit against the wall, hoping it sticks, but I've got no clue what I'm actually doing Mm -hmm. and no structure. So that's sort of where it started. And then, obviously, as time progressed, it allowed me to, you know, reevaluate and, and get to where I am now.
2: Yeah. Uh, what, what was the goal in the beginning? Was it just was it to go viral? Was it just a fun hobby? Like you enjoyed creating content. What was kind of the the driver to get you started? Yeah, so it was a bit of both. You know, I enjoyed creating content. It's always been fun.
3: It's always been something that I love doing. But at the same time, you know, there's always a monetary value where, there in the background where you think at the back of your mind's like, yeah, I love doing it, but. I wouldn't do it just for the love of it because ultimately I want to get paid and I want to make money. It was never to be famous. It was never to be, you know, in the public eye and be this, you know, person that's in front of everyone necessarily. But it was more just I want to create fun, engaging content, enjoy what I do. And because of that, get paid for it as well. That was the main, you know, goal and, and, and value that I was trying to
2: achieve from it. Right. Well, I mean, starting with gaming and the reaction videos and things. I mean, maybe you were ahead of your time on some of it with how how much that's popped off now. Uh, but obviously, that didn't prove to be a quick path in the direction you wanted to go. Looking back, why do you think you struggled to gain momentum in those first you know couple of months? Yeah.
3: So, I mean, the, the biggest thing is obviously not having any idea what I was doing, right? You're in a position where... That hurts, yeah. <laughs> you're, yeah where you're sitting there, you know, sit in front of a camera, you have no idea what you're really going to say or, you know, no idea if you're actually funny or if you're entertaining right. or if you're really in a position that people would actually care to watch and care to pay attention. So that was, you know, the biggest, I guess, uh, roadblock is having no idea and no foundation on what to do and then the next thing would just be the the strategies i guess if you will mm-hmm. on certain like criteria i guess is the easiest way to des- describe it with what to look for when it comes to you know click through rate watch time what videos to, to create around the search suggested videos all the bits and pieces that come with it having an idea of what to do there again you got no foundation you got no game plan so therefore you know you're to fail essentially and then the last piece of it is just the commitment to, you know, whether it be once a week, once a day, whatever the, you know, the ability allows you to do, just not sticking in it for long enough, you know, just shiny object, object syndrome, oh, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And then before you know it, you've done nothing when you could have just done one thing really well. So those are probably the three main things that
2: looking back. I definitely could have, you know, improved upon, learned upon, or just stuck in it longer. Yeah, I, I want to definitely talk about when things clicked into place. So obviously, you've had success, so I want to talk about the first moment that that really clicked into gear for you. But I want to circle around something you said because you mentioned in the beginning it's very hard to track: am I funny, or am I interesting, or do people care? And you also mentioned that there is this patience that you have to have because it does take time. You have to put out a little bit of content. How do you balance? you know, that feeling of patience, I'm going to keep just going and doing and being consistent, knowing long-term it will pay off versus, you know, how do you be self-aware about, you know, maybe this content isn't any good. Cause like, there's always those two things go in your mind. You're like, man, if I keep creating content, I'll see success, but then you're not getting any immediate feedback. So you're like, is this content really crappy? And I'm never going to make, you know, how do you, how do you kind of self audit yourself before you have an audience telling you one thing or another?
3: yeah so the biggest thing is obviously looking at current audiences current trends current things that are happening in the market to see what people are actually watching and paying attention to you know if it's vlogging at the time or if it's podcasting at the time it doesn't matter what it is what are the videos or what are the audios or whatever it is in my space that are getting views and getting attention what is it that they're doing what is it that they're not doing that is resonating with the audience so it's really doing your due diligence to look to see what are the markets actually interested in so for example if i was going into let's just say i started from scratch on a you know new channel what one, what's my idea that I want to go with? But then who's in my space that are already doing something similar that mm. have got attention? What are their views? What are their subscribers? When a new video gets posted, how many people are watching? And then what are the comments saying? A lot of the time, you know, we're scared to look at our comments because you know you've got internet trolls and and you know all these guys and uh kids i guess you could say online that are just trolling and and got nothing better to do with their time so we stay away from looking at that negativity but every so often there's a comment in there that may actually be Legitimate. So, you know, looking at the comments and and trying to, you know, I guess carefully dissect which ones you can actually extrapolate some good information from, like criticism, but good criticism and feedback, versus the ones that are just saying, you know, you're fat, you're ugly, whatever the, the common comments are. So really doing that due diligence and the market research beforehand is really gonna set you up for a better understanding of what you can create in a model that people are going to be interested in. And maybe, you know, maybe there needs to be a little bit more energy in that space. If Creators aren't doing that, but people are asking for some more energy in that you know situation. Whereas other times maybe it's more of a business orientated setting where people don't want someone super hyped up and yelling and screaming and you know doing all the bits and pieces. So you have to play it by the market, and that's where market research comes you know so so heavily into it. Because if you can master that aspect of that market research, well then when you create your channel or you create whatever it is you're doing, you're building it for that end user, that end avatar, if you will. And they're now in a position where they're your your dream client, your dream viewer, whatever it is. And you can reverse engineer for what they want to see to then obviously what you can create. And that just sort of gives you a, a good place to start anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really helpful. And I, I love the piece of advice there of like finding the niche that you're going to go into, but also going a step deeper than the niche what are people asking for in that niche that isn't being covered by the current creators i think i see a lot of people starting trailer reaction channels but there's you know i mean i don't even know how many trailer reaction channels every time a movie trailer drops it's like hard to find it because there's so many but finding that extra niche same with gaming channels like there's a lot of people that just stream but I think the gaming channels that are interesting are the ones that go, I play games from the early 2000s. That's my niche. That's my specific thing. Or I do movie adaptations, you know, that sort of thing. You know, you talked about if you're starting one now, uh, but I I do want to go back to the first time that you felt like you clicked into gear and... Things fell into a place where you're like, oh, I'm onto something. Like this one is gonna work. How, what was that moment like for you?
3: Yeah, I mean, it was you know one of those moments that you'll never really forget. You know, I've the, the numbers now in my mind that you know they they mean nothing to me, but thinking back then, it's like, wow, this is it. Like this is the moment. I sort of briefly spoke about it in a, on another podcast, but you know, the, the the biggest thing was when you're in a position where everything seems like it's gonna fail and everything seems like it's not gonna work, and the things you've previously tried before didn't work, and they Mm. You know, they broke down essentially on that scaling mechanism mm-hmm. that they weren't designed to handle scale or just even uh, a higher uh, a volume of people, views, etc. Uh, one of my channels got shut down, and I had to learn really quickly not to do those mistakes again. Mm. So then, on this second channel that I had started, you know, six seven months in. I'd gone on a trip with my girlfriend and my friend and his girlfriend and we went out to a dinner one night and we're just sitting there talking and you know, they're talking about their New Year's resolutions because it was around New Year's and everyone was like, Oh, I'm going to do this next year. I'm going to go here. I'm going to you know, achieve these certain things. And my goal was I just want to get a viral video on YouTube. That, that's all I care about. And you know, logging into my YouTube account and not seeing anything was obviously dampening that dream or that goal, that ambition that I had mm-hmm. because I still wanted it, but I just didn't know how to obviously get it. But I had been testing a lot of different things to see what would work, what didn't work. And that sort of led me to about, I don't know, maybe two days later, three days later on the same trip, we were at another dinner and I looked at my account and I could see in the YouTube analytics that one of the videos I had posted had just hit 50,000 views. Mm. Now, at the time, that was my biggest video that I'd ever had and just lit a fire under me. And I was just stoked for the rest of the day, the rest of the trip. I was obviously bouncing off walls. And it just kept on going, and then a couple of days later it was at 100k, a couple of days later it was at 150 and then my channel got monetized because of that video. Mm-hmm. So now I was starting to make money from this. obviously it was you know a couple of bucks a day. it was nothing crazy, but that was the realization, that moment, that understanding that you know what, I can actually do this. I just got to take the information that's happening from this video, extrapolate that into something that makes sense that I could duplicate and replicate across different videos and different channels. And then essentially just keep on building. And, uh, you know, that was the moment for me where it really hit and I was like. Holy shit! I'm gonna I'm gonna get something here for a second, and right. it, and it just obviously blew up from there.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's that's a huge feeling whenever something takes off for the first time. Like, I mean, when you first hit a thousand likes and me, you're like, oh my god, this is amazing. But it is, it's exciting watching those analytics climb, you know, and you know, seeing a video pop off like that. And I'm kind of curious, like, you know, sometimes when a creator has something pop off, they go straight into just duplicating that thing over and over again, and then that's when you start getting the comments of like, do something new. Like, this is the same thing you've been doing. The be original. Um, yeah. How did you build off that initial virality? Like, did you change your course? Did you? pivot a little bit? Did you start trying to replicate it? Like what was your your next step to that first hit? So on this particular channel at the time that blew up, it was about gaming content. So
3: it was just like doing gaming reviews, doing gaming uh synopsis or breakdowns of certain games, secrets, Easter eggs, all the little bits and pieces. So this particular video that took off, I think it was uh it was about the Witcher. I'm not sure if you remember that that game, but it was about the Witcher game and it was like secrets and Easter eggs and whatever. And the video started taking off and I was like, okay, Obviously, The the Witcher itself is starting to, you know, be adapted into movies and and further books and further games and TV shows and all these bits and pieces that are happening. What if I was to take other games that are doing the same adaptation and create similar versions mm. of this Witcher one that would be in a different yeah. you know, game or category, but still within the category of gaming in terms of it's still a game being adapted into a movie or maybe a movie that's adapted into a game. And that's where it sort of led me down that rabbit hole of I can have you know a subset category of movies into games and games into movies mm-hmm. and just switch out the titles and essentially keep the same context. Of context of what the Witcher one was, which was Easter eggs, you know, and secrets, whatever. And that really allowed me to understand that I could just switch out those names and obviously make sure that certain analytics were hit. And then I could start getting not necessarily similar, but better than normal views and attention because then I saw it clicked for me that I could piggyback essentially off the title of whatever this game was or this movie was. And then if there's promotion coming up, so for example, if there was a new game coming out, and let's just say, for example, there's a game. Called The Last of Us, Mm -hmm. and there's a new TV show coming out called The Last of Us from HBO. Now, that movie and that game are getting more attention as HBO push more trailers, more details, more news. And I could essentially ride that wave and try to get the attention, build an audience, and then move that into the next one. So that's sort of where it clicked for me. And I realized, you know, the power of trend hopping, if you will, or, you know, viral
2: topic hopping. Yeah, I mean, they're spending the ad dollars to promote your topic, which is uh, which is a pretty exactly. cool spot to be. And if you build if you build the video right, it'll just ride it'll
3: just ride that wave, and you'll be able to capitalize on the views and ultimately revenue as well.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously uh, much of what you do is explaining how to do that, just that, I mean, building the video the right way. And this is something that, you know, uh, when people get started on YouTube, you know, it's like, I need a sick intro and, you know, I need a cool title for my channel and all the all this stuff. Then you put out a video and it gets like no traffic whatsoever. And, you know, when I started doing YouTube really consistently, it was It was like two years ago and, you know, started putting out content, started trying to figure it out. And everything that I thought was important in the beginning feels like it's not really important. And then there were these little things along the way that kind of I realized are of utmost importance. So. Going into that conversation of if you were to start a new channel today, because I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this episode and hopefully start their first YouTube channel. What does it mean to build their content the right way? And what's maybe one or two tactical things that you'd say, you know, most people miss this? You need to make sure that you hit this when you start your channel.
3: Yeah. So you sort of touched on it before with intros, outros. Mid all these things that people throw into these videos—it's totally not necessary, you know. People, again, perfect example of something like this would be someone like Mr. Beast, right? So, mm-hmm. a lot of people look to Mr. Beast as this guy that's doing all this crazy stuff, but he essentially has built his videos around a certain framework and a blueprint that is obviously proven to work. Now, as soon as you click on a video, the first thing that he's doing is intro in the video based on the title that you've clicked on. That creates that simulation between this is the title, this is the thumbnail, and now I'm being told that's what it is. As soon as I click on it Mm. he's not asking for someone to like or subscribe or to comment he's not saying you know here's my crazy mr beast intro video animation that goes on for 30 seconds or you know talking about his accomplishments or you know if he's ever been on stage before or the money is made none of that matters because he knows that those first few seconds those first 10 seconds 5 seconds are absolutely crucial to capture the attention and then ensure that attention stays you know throughout that video so a lot of the time people will fill up videos with an intro and then that goes on for 10 20 30 seconds and then they wonder why people don't watch past 30 seconds of their video. It's because a lot of the time people are like, well, this is boring. I don't know why I'm here. And they leave. So first thing is don't worry about intros. Don't worry about any of that. Just give the people what they want. If you're some- teaching someone how to, I don't know, use LinkedIn to generate more leads. Just this is how to generate more leads using LinkedIn. Number one, blah, 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 blah. Number two, blah, 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 blah. And then as the video progresses and you get to maybe the middle, then you can start saying why someone would listen to you or why mm. someone should care. Because now you've got their attention, they're trusting the content you're saying, and now you can go into who I am and why you should listen. And again, it would be really brief and it wouldn't be every video, just because a lot of the time people, again, they don't care. They just want the attention of what it is that you're providing, right? They want the value. So that's probably the first thing that I would say a lot of people need to stick with And the second thing is just the quality of the actual video itself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, videos don't need to be high level, expensive production value. They just need to be in a position where people can understand it clearly that, you know, the audio doesn't hurt to listen to it or that the visuals aren't super boring or, you know, there's not one... Stagnant screen object video with nothing else. And you're just sitting in front of a camera talking, depending on who you are, you can get away with it. But 99% of people can't. So it's like you need to add something in there, add some pizzazz, you know, add some different music or add some, you know, text on screen, just really simple animations. But because everything in our world moves so quickly, especially nowadays with TikTok and all these short form platforms you know, we need to make sure that we've got things coming at them left, right and center Mm -hmm. for a few seconds anyway, to keep their attention and then ultimately maintain their attention throughout that video. So those are the first two things that I'd sort of really focus on.
2: Yeah. Yeah. uh, The intro was something that I felt like, oh, I have to have a good intro. And then I realized like my watch time was a lot better getting rid of it. And even it's it's just weird stuff. Like it's, you know, I come from a video production background. And so like, you know, for me, it physically pains me. Some of the things that really work on TikTok or YouTube to get people's attention, like it's not always the cinematic feel. Sometimes it is doing this like blocky text or like, you know, some of these editing things that don't look as good, like, you know, on on an objective level, but they're effective. That, That was really hard, but it is like what you said, like, it's fulfilling on the promise of why they clicked in the first place. Like, that's the first thing anybody wants to know when they click a video is like, is he actually talking about this or is this going to be a 20-minute sales yeah, It's pitch. a clickbait. Yeah, yeah.
3: right. And that's, and that's something that, you know, Logan Paul, Jake Paul, all these vloggers used to do really well is that they would have, you know, the thumbnail or the highlight of the video. They would show it for a second at the very start of the video and it would be a 10 or 12-minute long video. And they would take that clip from, say, it happened at the very end and they would use it at the start. Because people want to see what that main payoff is or what the event is. So then a lot of people will watch the whole video to get to the very end. And then that's a five second, 10 second thing that doesn't really matter. And people don't really care about it at that point because they've all just watched 10 minutes and like, well, this is just crap. I've just wasted my time watching this. So there's, you know, there's definitely little tricks and things in there you can do. But ultimately, you know, it really just boils down to just create good value, good quality content, make it enjoyable to, you know, I mean, art is obviously up to the subject watching, mm-hmm. right? It's Everyone has different perspectives on art, but if you can get a generic understanding and just run with that, then you'll get crazy results.
1: No,
2: yeah. well, I mean, that's great for in the video, but something you mentioned was the the thumbnails and uh, getting someone to actually watch your video in the sea of videos that there are to watch is another thing entirely. I, I listening on a podcast and you said you're getting like 20% click-through rates on your uh, YouTube thumbnails how that's my question um, how are you doing that i mean if 5 is good right 5% is like a good average click through rate correct me if i'm wrong and then uh I mean, 20 is like astronomical how are you how are you doing that
3: so from my experience and i mean there might be people out there that think differently but from what i've seen and what i've been able to assess <coughs> over you know billions of views that i've had on hundreds of channels is that the main metrics that we look for is about 40 to 50 and these are minimums but 40 to 50% minimum watch time and 10% minimum click through rate those are the two main factors that it seems that YouTube looks for to get a certain rating that they then can then put into the algorithm and start testing through different phases to see where people click how much of that percentage is and then the
2: watch time associated. And not to interrupt, but I want to make sure on this watch time being total minutes watched, or is it percentage of video watched? Because I've heard both sides of this. I'm curious, which is it? Is it watching 50% of the video, or is it watching by minute? Like they want to know, like if you're watching 20, 30, 40 minutes of a video.
3: Yeah. So I mean, it obviously depends on the length, right? So if you have a 10-minute video and they watch 50%, that's 5 minutes. So in YouTube's eyes, that's great. That's good value. And they'll start testing that out to more audiences. If you've got a 20% watch time on a 10-minute video, that means you're watching 2 minutes. Typically, unless the video had an amazing click through rate with the thumbnail, typically it's not going to be shown to a lot of people just because it's not getting the clicks it needs if YouTube shows it to more Mm. people. So it really just depends on the video. Uh, but typically, you know, if you look at 40, 50% as an average of whatever that video length is. So a 10 minute video, four minutes, five minutes is like a basic as a minimum. Then that's a great place to start. The higher you go up that hierarchy of how long people watch, then obviously, the more opportunities you get from YouTube to push it to more audiences. Mm -hmm. So if you had 80% and people watch 8 minutes of a 10-minute video, now YouTube's like, wow, this video is doing well. People are loving it. They stay on our platform for longer. Let's push it to more people. So. What, yeah, what I would say is, you know, to get thumbnail click through rate up over or even at 10% and above, you know, it's really just looking at the psychology of, of people in general, right? We are attached to certain things, whether it be pets, we love pets. So most people will click on pets if they see them in the thumbnail. Now, again, it needs to be related to the title and the, the content of some description, but people love their pets, so they'll click on them. People love looking at other people with funny emotions or really. Out their expressions again Mr. Beast is a great example of this someone on YouTube called graham Stefan he's another great example of this where they'll do out there wild expressions and then they'll have something next to their face or within that picture of what is actually happening and it's all about what captures their attention so you know a really bold text and just sitting there staring at a camera that's not exciting no one's going to click on it whereas if there's a little bit of text. And you're doing a crazy expression. It was something strange, weird, and wonderful happening around you. Obviously, you know you have to play play to your audience and and what it is. But you know these are ways that you can really get greater click through rates and utilizing other things like celebrities if you can. So if you're talking about a celebrity in a particular video, utilizing their face because obviously people would know someone like Bieber, uh, Justin Bieber, they would click on him because they can see him or Drake or whatever it is, and that again gets the thumbnail seen by more people because you're utilizing, say, a celebrity. Now, a big thing that obviously influences click-through rate is your title. And as I say to my team all the time, when we're at school, we learn to read left to right, right? So we don't, we don't look down and read right to left, depending on what country we're in. Typically, it's <laughs> left to right. right. So when we see a thumbnail, it's the same thing. When I track when my team looks at thumbnails or if I'm showing a thumbnail to someone, they essentially visualize it left to right, like we're reading a comic book or a picture or whatever mm-hmm. it is. So a lot of the attention-grabbing context, I make sure I was on the left-hand side first and then it flows to the right-hand side of the image because people read left to right. So in that situation, I would have a big thing of whatever it is to capture attention on the left of the same image. And then the right-hand side of the image would be something that accentuates more of that point. And then what happens is it normally works in like a curve. So it goes left to right. So they look at the left side first, right side next, and then they look at the title. Title is typically the last thing they look at. So the picture grabs the attention and then the title finishes the story so that as they would want to click, it explains why they will click because they see whatever it is. Does that, does that kind of make sense? I know right. it's... A bit no, crazy. no, it's, it's great. So your title would be on the right-hand side then? Yeah, I mean, typically. it depends obviously, yeah, where you look at it, if you're on desktop, mobile, whatever. But yeah, when you look left to right, it's just really working in that flow of left to right on the image and then looking at the title. And then if they match and they flow properly, then that'll increase your click-through rate. So, you know, my point here is that a mixture of good quality thumbnails with expressions and, and all the little bits and pieces added to it with a title that matches... And a title and a thumbnail that work together to tell a story essentially will get someone to click because they want to know more about the story. They want to know more about whatever is being talked about. So now your click to rate can essentially, like you said, jump up to 10%, 15%, or in some cases, some of my thumbnails get 20% over.
0: This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all, it's to match Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need a hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, that's that's wild.
2: Do you recommend I mean like Mr. Beast, for example, you mentioned him, his thumbnails are you know, usually just heavy on expression and on, you know, different elements that make it really interesting. But he doesn't use any titling typically within a lot of his thumbnails. Do you recommend always putting words within your thumbnail? Or if it's an interesting image, that's fine. I try to
3: stick away from words in thumbnails as much as possible, just because, Mm. you know, when you're using a lot of words... Most viewers are on mobile, right? So you're either going to be on the toilet and just flicking around on YouTube and you see something you like, or you're in bed and you're again on your phone, just flicking around on the couch, whatever it is. So a lot of the time when you have text on a thumbnail, you can't actually read what's being said or what's being written. Now, if you have a lot of text in there, it's even harder to see. If the contrasting of colors don't match, then it's even harder to see again. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this tiny little screen that you're trying to see that on. Again, it's even harder. So mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of the time on thumbnails before we make them, we'll zoom out to a certain level on the computer to see what does this look like as a little image. And if mm-hmm. we still can't see it clearly, then we need to adjust it so we can actually see it clearly. So mm-hmm. yeah, ideally, no no text in a thumbnail unless maybe a one word or a two word, you know, Sort of situation, uh, but typically, as long as the image is capturing enough, then it's normally more than enough.
2: Man, uh, I, I hate that we did this interview because uh, I'm going to be going back through all my thumbnails and uh, making tweaks. Um, it's, it's super helpful. I am curious. You mentioned leveraging celebrity, and that's something that, uh, with our company Guestio, obviously we talk about all the time. Is uh, and with podcasting, getting around people who have an existing audience is a great way to increase your own audience and your own credibility. When it comes to actually, you know, leveraging talent within your videos, I know you can obviously jump on trending topics, uh, but what priority would you put on bringing in other well-known YouTubers or collaborating with well-known influencers to help accelerate the growth of your channel?
3: I mean, it's as you would know, it, it's an incredible way to really grow quickly because if you can get so a softball shout out, pitch
2: down the middle there on, on that one, yeah.
3: Absolutely, it's someone, you know, really just giving you a really nice underarm throw, you know, like it's super, super easy to hit a home run with these because you're getting exposure to their audience, you're being able to get shout outs from them as well, mm-hmm. you're being able to use them in your thumbnails So you have better click-through rate for people that are more familiar with that face versus yours. And it's why there was a massive push a couple of years ago now on YouTube. YouTube is always partnering up together Because if someone has a million subscribers and another person has a million subscribers, collectively, that's 2 million people. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's going to be some overlap there. But if you were to have, say, 100,000 people that had never seen you before partner with their favorite YouTuber, typically, a lot of those are going to come instantly and subscribe to you and then vice versa. So it's a great way to grow. And especially if you're a new channel just starting and you can really jump on the back of another YouTuber, maybe you're a friend of theirs, maybe you pay them, whatever it is. Then again, that's a great way to jumpstart your channel because essentially, if you're creating good content and you can get that, you know, promotion, if you will, then uh, it, it's it's going to blow up the channel really quickly. Yeah,
2: that's that's huge. Well, I'm I'm going to use that to transition to a question we ask everybody that comes on the show. Obviously, the show is called Build Your Network, and so we always like to talk a little bit about networking on this on this front. I think we have a little bit just by this advice, but I am curious to know: Do you believe that who you know? Or what you know is more important and why?
3: Yeah, so at the moment, I would say it's who you know, not what you know. And in that situation, I've been in many, many situations before where essentially, you know, I've got many problems that I needed to solve and who I knew was able to get me out of those problems mm-hmm. who I knew was able to help me move forward rather than what I knew because I didn't know what I didn't know so you know whether it be trying to get in and out of a problem or whether it's just trying to level up and get to that next level mm-hmm. you know it's, it's such an incredible thing when you know the right people and your network essentially is your net worth then um, you know you can get to that next level relatively quicker by working with people rather than just doing it all by yourself, especially if you don't really know what what to do.
2: Yeah, I, I really think that leveraging, obviously, relationships is a huge thing, getting those connections, especially early on, like you said, like with our new show that we're launching, that's where we're spending a lot of money is like just getting some other names on the show and like, you know, advertising, doing all sorts of creative ways to get some good collaborations going. I am curious, like outside of spending money, because like, <laughs> someone who hasn't even started their YouTube channel is going like, I don't have money. I'm trying to start a YouTube channel to start generating this. What are some ways that you can add value to creators that have a large audience? Because some that, I mean, we found that some that have a large audience aren't even really concerned about getting paid a certain amount of money to appear. They're looking for some reason why it would be a good fit for them. What are some ways you can add value to uh creators that you wanna build relationships with and collaborate on your channel.
3: yeah, so it's a great question because if you look at billionaires, for example, right they're not gonna care about getting an extra fifty dollars or a hundred dollars or ten thousand no. dollars for a promo or something no it just doesn't doesn't excite them. I mean obviously more money is great, but a lot of these guys and girls they want a problem solved, mm-hmm. a hole in the vessel that's you know leaking to essentially be plugged. And a lot of the time in this online world, especially if we're looking at YouTube, for example, I would get really, really good at one thing and then utilize that one skill, talent, whatever it might be to help said person, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess top of my head, what I would think of would be I would spend 6 months, 12 months in the trenches, just getting really good at understanding what makes a good thumbnail, what makes people click, understanding the psychology behind that, and really just spending time in the trenches So that when you do come across that person, if you get that opportunity, you can then say, Hey, let me create these thumbnails for you because I can increase your XYZ. Then they're going to look at that and say, wow, like this person can actually help me achieve this goal. If what they say is legit. So being able to have skills like thumbnails, a lot of people underestimate how important it is to have a good thumbnail, but alternatively, how good it is to have a good quality video. So just finding one, you know, I guess niche or one, one aspect of the whole YouTube game and getting really good at it. Maybe you're just going to be really good at video editing, creating good quality content that people watch for long periods of time. Maybe it's the thumbnails, like I said. Maybe it's just about creating better topics and creating better videos in general in terms of what the speaker speaks about and the content in terms of how it works. Or maybe it could just be distribution. Maybe you're going to spend a lot of time in getting that video seen by people. Maybe you've got a blog. Maybe you've got an article. Maybe you've got an already existing audience on another platform. Maybe you can cut up their videos in short form format. Use it on TikTok. Use it on Instagram Reels. Use it on YouTube Shorts. There's so many different ways that you can you know, provide value to create. that isn't monetary as, hey, I'll I'll send you a hundred bucks. Whereas it's monetary in, I'll create this content for you at no cost, or I'll adjust this, Mm -hmm. improve this, whatever it is. And in return, they're going to have increased monetary gain from the viewers, the attention, the subscribers, the new clients, whatever it is. So there's a lot of ways, but people just need to be creative, man. A lot of people just, you know they're at a position now where they just think, or they've been trying something for a week or maybe a month. And they feel like they deserve the success, but they haven't done, you know, the the groundwork and they haven't been in the trenches trying to figure it out and be told no a hundred times just for that one person that says yes. And then it changes everything. So that's essentially what, you know, what a good way to provide value is, especially to those big creators or people that. A semi-big, you know, 100K, 200K. There's a lot for them to learn. If you're going after the bigger creators, you need to have a portfolio first before you, you know, go after them. Mm-hmm. But um, there's there's a lot of opportunities just looking in the right place.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know we only have a couple minutes left. Um, the last hand just wanted to ask was, you know, at the very beginning of the episode, you were talking about, you know, launch your channel, you know, you start making some money. It's a couple bucks, you know. And I think anyone who started monetizing YouTube or TikTok, like, It can be discouraging in the beginning where you're like, oh, I'm making, you know, it goes from exciting to like, oh, I'm making $70 a month on YouTube. This is not going to pay for this, uh, this habit. You know, what do you look at as success when it comes to YouTube channel? And how should people reframe their view on monetization? Because I think a lot of people, their first focus is ad revenue. But you mentioned some things like courses and other elements and avenues that lead to a lot more money with a lot less viewers. Uh, How can people kind of reframe their point of view when it comes to monetization?
3: Yeah. So there's obviously so many different ways, right? You've got uh, courses, you got brand deals, sponsorships, affiliate programs. You could do coaching or mentoring, depending on what it is that you have. If you have an additional service that you could sell, whatever it might be, there's so many different ways that you can monetize that is beyond just AdSense. AdSense is great, but AdSense, depending on your niche, needs a lot of views and a lot of attention. So you know, if I'm creating a new movie channel, then I know that I can get you know hundreds of thousands of views relatively easier. Than what I could get if I was starting a new personal brand channel, talking about finance and crypto just because of the market, because of the way that it moves, because of how, you know, how hard it can be to break into a space like that. So, you know, it's really coming down to what is the value being brought in that actual video or the channel that you're creating content from. And from that point, how can you monetize it that doesn't require just AdSense, as you said, courses, coaching, mentoring, whatever. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people now, they use Patreon as a way to get money too. You know, hey, subscribe to my Patreon, get behind the scenes footage. Maybe you know something about something. If it's, say, crypto, for example, maybe you know about certain coins or NFT projects, or maybe you're just someone in the finance space that helps people build wealth as a hypothetical situation. You know, by having a Patreon where people donate a certain amount to get access to that behind the scenes, you know, footage or content have now that extra leg up to get closer to you, get more contact, get more value. And then ultimately you can make a little bit more money from, you know, that back end as well. But AdSense is great and it's a great way to make money, but there's obviously so many other ways to make the same, if not more with less effort, with less, you know, stress, if you will, in terms of making money. But I guess to answer your question in how should people reframe it? If you enjoy the content you're making if you're enjoying the process of making the video and alex homozy says this you know the best i think that i've heard is the art of doing what you're doing or the actual the process of doing what you're doing is the goal the process to Mm. get to a goal isn't the goal the goal is the process so if you can fall in love with that process and you can fall in love with doing the work doing the bits and pieces And you can love that, then, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that's a win at the end of the day. And the monetary side of things, obviously we all, we all need the money. We all want the money. But once you can fall in love with that process, then the money will come because you can think of all of these other creative ways to, you know, make something, sell something or, you know, connect people even and, and take a, a middleman split.
2: Yeah. Love that, man. Well, I'll take us in our random round here. We've got like three minutes left of this conversation and then I'll let you go. Number one, what profession other than your own do you think it would be fun to attempt?
3: Uh, I reckon something in crypto, cybersecurity, crypto, something in terms of cyber oriented stuff, just something
2: in that space would be sweet. Uh, if you could sit on a park bench with anybody past or present and talk to them for an hour, who would it be and why?
3: Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's a long question, a long answer. I mean, uh, who would I want to sit next to?
2: I think for every entrepreneur in America right now it's Alex Hermozzi, but uh Yeah <laughs> but. <laughs> Alex Alex is the man. I mean look man for me it would
3: just it would just be my grandparents to be honest, mm-hmm. just being able to sit next to them and, you know, money is great. Making everything is, is great and doing all these big things is fantastic. But, you know, being able to connect with people on a deeper level from family orientated stuff. So like my lineage and, and my heritage would just be amazing to be sit there and listening to their stories and listen to all the bits and pieces that they, they can advise in terms of what they went through and, and what could
2: potentially happen as well. How do you like to learn best? Is it books, blogs, YouTube videos, uh, masterminds? What's your favorite way to learn new information? Coaching and mentoring for me. Just a one-on-one approach that
3: being next to someone, seeing someone and getting that direct feedback is, is probably my best and favorite way. Uh, give me a glimpse of your morning routine. At the moment, 4 a.m. wake up, cardio for an hour and a half to 5.30, couple black coffees in there, fast until sort of midday, uh, morning meetings, making sure teams set up, Uh, trying to get back to new potential clients that are coming on board, making sure current clients are being looked after and happy. And then before I know it, it's lunchtime. Uh, What's your go-to pump up song? Go-to pump up song. It's the new one by Kanye. Uh, I really like, I can't remember what it's called now, but it's got Mary (laughs) J. Blige in it. I think it's a, it's
2: a vibe. Cool, cool. Uh, And then last uh, question before we find out where we can connect with you, Uh, what is something that you're not very good at? Something I'm not very good at, I think is
3: probably empathy. One of the, the biggest things that I really struggle with is connecting with people that, you know, are going through something now, but aren't willing to do the work to get out of that position because we've all got problems. We've all got stresses. We've all got things that are holding us back. I've been in, you know, really dark places, but I relied on no one but myself to get out of that. And I always think, well, if I can do it, you should be able to as well. So, you know, being able to be more empathetic for
2: people that, that can't, uh, is probably something I definitely need to work on. Yeah, love it. And lastly, what's the number one place online where people can connect with you? I know you mentioned before we hit record, uh, Instagram. Uh, what's the handle there for people to, uh, send you a DM? Yeah. So it's
3: it's Chris Zizza. So it's I T S, Chris C H R I S, and then Z I S S I S, or for those in America, Z I S S I S. And, uh, that's, you know, blue logo. You'll see me in the, in the image. And yeah, reach out to me, send me a DM and we can have a conversation. Every American
2: was like, this guy there's no z in the alphabet what are you talking about <laughs> zed uh, what's z <laughs> uh, well perfect well thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this it was super helpful i was taking notes uh, through the conversation and you know as we get ready to launch our new channel this is uh, this is all very valuable and I know it will be for, for those listening as well. If you're listening to this, be sure to connect with Chris and I mean, start a YouTube channel. Take that step, start creating content and definitely follow Chris for some, uh, some great advice on how you can take it to the next level. But uh, for now, we'll see you in the next
1: episode. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there, and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it.